0: What's up, y'all? Happy Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We at Bitch Talk are celebrating all things Asian, and we wanted to kick back this episode with Lisa Ling, who is one of our heroes. It was a really exciting, fun interview. You guys give it another listen. And don't forget that her show, Take Out with Lisa Ling, is streaming right now on HBO and Apple+. Plus. So enjoy this interview, and happy AAPI Heritage Month. Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps.
2: Bitch talk in the house oh, Lisa, Lisa in the house. Ling in the house.
0: <laughs> Should we just start singing karaoke just
2: to get yeah. you know get us warmed up? Or- There's a reason why you didn't actually hear me singing karaoke on our. I was going to say. That was going to be a question. Where was that audio? Let's
0: save that. Let's save that. Let's put it in the back pocket. That's going to come. Okay. (laughs) We are so excited to bring you, American journalist, TV personality, author, personal hero, Lisa Ling, to talk about uh, HBO's new six part documentary series, Takeout. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm with the bitches. <laughs> official bitch. Exactly. All right, along. <laughs> now, now you're now, official. Exactly. <laughs> well, love well, it. Can, well, can you start by
2: introducing Takeout to our audience? Absolutely. So the way I describe our show Takeout is it's an exploration of buried Asian-American histories through the lens of food, that Americans have come to love and that has become the most ubiquitous kind of food in this country?
0: It is so much fun to watch. Six episodes is not enough. I was texting Aaron after every episode, but we're gonna get to that later. Um, first, I just have to say that 14 year old me, that was watching you on Channel One in high school is just <laughs> bursting with pride and joy right now. I, I feel like instead of interviewing you, I should be asking you how to interview you, just <laughs> you're the boss. But um, but I really love, I wanna start with, um, you actually left USC before graduating because you wanted to travel the world and. and and you you knew at that early age that that was going to be the best education for you. So I'm interested to know where where did you travel at that young age, and and how did it inform the type of journalist that you were to become?
2: I know what a disgraceful Asian, right? I, well, I was going to ask
3: how did the family feel about it? I, I can relate. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I'll be totally honest with you. You know, another way I went against stereotype um, is I struggled in school. Um, I had ADD. And really had a hard time being confined within the walls of a classroom, and um, and so when I started working for Channel One News, I got the job when I was 18. It was it was a show that was seen in schools across the country. It was a news broadcast, um, and I was initially hired to be one of their young, kind of cute-ish, you know, <laughs> correspondents. Like it was what you know, God, 35 years ago when I when I was doing this. Um, It wasn't until I started traveling and the show sent me all over the world to cover stories that I just became this sponge that just wanted to absorb everything that I was seeing and I was observing and learning. I mean, the world became my classroom so profoundly. My, my, My senses were heightened, my eyes were opened, and I would go back to my classes at USC and tell the professor my Russian studies professor that I just uh, you know I covered the Russian referendum elections and so you know it 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 became for me not just dropping out of a university it was really just ex- uh, extending my education outside of the classroom and so I would never encourage people to drop out of school because I do find tremendous value in a college education, but for me, I had an opportunity to continue my learning in a much more tactile way, and and that has led me to this path now.
3: Um, throughout takeout, um, and like to Angie's point, at episode six, I'm like, oh, okay, what's the next? What's the next food? What's the next area we're going to cover? And it was over. Um, so I'm really hoping there's a season two. But throughout takeout. You talk about growing up in the Sacramento area, Carmichael. We're we're in the Bay Area, so definitely know the area. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a story that weaves throughout um, the series. Can you talk about growing up there and how you really wanted to bust out and how, how it felt during that time to be probably one of the only Asians yeah. in school?
2: Yeah, there were so few Asians in my middle and high school uh, and even elementary school and i just i hated being asian because i was different look i had a lot of friends i was a fairly popular kid but i was teased all the time and when you are in middle school and high school all you want to do is fit in you don't want to give people a reason to uh, to make fun of you and i had a big reason that i couldn't change and that was that i was asian and so when i was 17 i just i i wanted to get out of there because i just felt so stifled and i moved to los angeles to live with my mom and start usc and this whole world opened up to me of diversity in la and it was was after i left carmichael that i really decided to try and get in touch with my roots now the reality is that sacramento itself has always been very diverse and there's always been a thriving Asian community, particularly Chinese, um, and the, the roots of the Chinese community there run very, very deep. But because I was in Carmichael and my parents didn't really talk to me much about Asian American history and I never learned anything about Asian American history in school, for me, I always just wanted to distance myself from that thing that made me different. Um, and really, it wasn't until i went back there and shot an episode of takeout that i really got in touch with the chinese american roots in my hometown you know i visited this town called Locke that is still standing that was developed in the early 1900s and after the chinese built the the transcontinental railroads there was this push to get the chinese out of cities Chinatowns throughout the west coast were being burnt to the ground um, uh, Chinese people were were getting lynched and harassed and 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 tortured, and so an enterprising group of Chinese people um, uh, from the Guangdong province, the the Zhongsan people, they negotiated with white landowners to clear these pear orchards and they built this this town for themselves. And it wasn't a Chinatown that was attached to a city; it was its own independent town and at any time that town could have been you know, taken away from them because they could only negotiate for, for a lease that was month to month because the white owner, landowners didn't want it to, to extend those leases, but they built a life for themselves there. And for me to actually go to that town and stand in the places where this community that was so discriminated against and scapegoated Um, They sought refuge in this town. It was so moving. And it was the first time in 47 years that I felt connected to my Chinese roots in my hometown.
0: Yeah, that episode is so emotional. And uh, you you really have worked with everyone at this point. I mean, you were on The View, National Geographic, CNN, Oprah. I mean, we'd like her contact, by the way. Um, But throughout everything that you've worked on, it feels like we just get a little bit closer to the real Lisa Ling, and and we watch you sort of come to terms with that, especially in episode two that that Aaron was referencing. So um, what did it feel like for you to to go there emotionally on camera as it's happening in real time?
2: Yeah, you know, I've gotten pretty decent at telling other people's stories, Um, but this was really this journey to look into Not only my roots, but also to kind of dig into why I felt so much shame um, around my ethnicity. And I think it's a kind of shame that so many of us Asian-Americans have felt throughout our lives. Because when our histories aren't told, right, when there's no reference to our community's inclusion in our history books, it's so easy to overlook an entire community and to even dehumanize it right and so my objective growing up was always like white adjacency you know what can i do to be seen as more white because those are you know the people who are controlling everything right who are controlling the narrative and so the last few years have really been i think a a period of reckoning for the whole for, for our whole community you know i mean when attacks on asian people in the wake of covid started to happen I think so many people were shocked. How could this be happening to our community? Well, when you look, when you actually do some digging and you look into the history of Asians in America, you see that this just is, it's a continuous pattern of scapegoating that Asians have, have been on the receiving end of since Asian people first arrived in this country. Um, but because our stories aren't told, it comes as a surprise. And so for me, this opportunity to do this series, first of all, it's something I never even dreamt of. I I couldn't have possibly dreamt that one day I would be able to celebrate Asian American stories and Asian American food, you know, food that I was also so ashamed of. Um, But it's it's this precious time where this door is open and people want to know. Um, And that's really exciting, you know, that my kids actually are growing up in a different world where the stories of people who look like her are finally not only getting told, but they're getting celebrated. And it's just, you know, it's, it's awesome to be alive, to be able to experience this. And then to hear the response. I mean, I've been working in this business for almost 35 years and for so many Asian Americans, to say i feel seen you know like sharing this story watching asian american stories because again asian, asian america is very different from asia <laughs> and so our, you know, our our demographic is in and of itself a unique category you and i yeah, um, angela are you are you are, what 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 kind of asian are you filipino filipino episode
0: 1 yeah okay <laughs> No big deal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But you and I have more in common with each other than you have with people who are living in the Philippines today or that I have with people who are living in Asian-Americans, wherever, you know, irrespective of where our ancestors come from, we are our own category. And so I hope that Asian-Americans feel a kind of ownership over all of these stories and even non Asian-Americans. These are American stories at the end of the day. You know, they, they they belong to all of us.
3: I wanted to ask, was this show born out of the pandemic? And also, how did you land on the stories? Because now I know a lot of shit about Bangladeshi food. So
0: mm-hmm, correct.
3: <laughs> oh. Love that opening, by the way, loved it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank you it's fun to work for for streamers where you can you know you can speak the way you speak and yeah yeah <laughs> yep. um so so we got this series um approved or greenlit in the beginning of the pandemic but before all of the Asian hate
0: mm.
2: and I actually was shocked that this. I, I pitched, we, my team and I pitched about 10 different ideas to HBO Max, and the one they chose was Takeout. And I just thought, wow, I, 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 do you think that there will be an audience? Do you think people really want to know these stories? I mean, I, I, I just, it was just a different kind of like thought process, right? And headspace that I'd ever occupied. And, um, and they greenlit it. And, and after they did, I said, well, I need at least 20 episodes. Because, <laughs> yes, yeah. such a diverse. <laughs> exactly. And how do we choose the six? I mean, we still have this long list. So I'm praying that we get another season. But I think that we chose stories that even Asian Americans might have not been aware of otherwise. I mean, I do think now that most. People know that Filipinos were the first Asians to land in America, but I don't know that most know that they landed not in, in, on the West Coast or the East Coast, but in the bayous of Louisiana. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that was such a, you know, for me also, this has been such an incredible education You know i mean these are stories that were not included in my history books and so i am learning along with everyone else and it's been so fascinating and such a joy um the episode that we did on boyle heights you would never think about boyle heights as an asian community because now it's mostly latino and proudly latino um, and I was shocked. It was my my Mexican-American friend, Rolando Cruz, after he read about takeout, he said, oh, you should you should come to the only Japanese restaurant left in Boyle Heights. I said, only restaurant left left from what? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would go on to learn that after World War II, after Japanese-Americans were released from prison camps, Boyle Heights was one of the only places they could afford to live because they lost everything. They lost their businesses and their homes. And so in the wake of of the end of World War II, there was a thriving Japanese American community in Boyle Heights. And, And Boyle Heights, you know, to this day has just become this incredible refuge for immigrant communities. And there's still these beautiful and incredible vestiges of that Japanese American community left in Boyle Heights. And the restaurant, the one Japanese restaurant left, interestingly enough, has really become, you know, a staple of the community. It's so embraced by its mostly Latino community. And they call the owner of that restaurant their Japanese mom. And so it's just like this this, this beautiful blending of, immigrant stories and American stories in this, you know, little enclave called Boyle Heights. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And I love, I, I'm not going to, this is the last time I bring up episode one, but I just have to say when I first saw that it was called mix mix, I was like, Hmm, is this going to be Filipino? And it was uh, because of the highly undervalued dessert, hollow, hollow, um,
2: but, but so it, highly it, undervalued. I it's, fantasize it's, about that. It's about so Holo.
0: delicious. Yeah. And, and I, um, I loved it because obviously I, I just had so much pride, much more pride in Filipino culture and history here than I ever did before. But also I'm gonna have to read my notes here. I wrote, Lisa Ling said, fuck you. And so that made me <laughs> just extremely happy. Um, but But I wanna talk about how you share the successes, not just the struggles of of these cultures, and especially as children of immigrants, how our parents fought just to exist here. But now you're showing how the children of these immigrants are fighting to make sure that workers' rights and human rights are never devalued again. And it doesn't have to be a protester with a sign. It can be someone that running a restaurant that is also instilling these things.
2: Well, you know, Angela that that's it's a great point that you're making and and that's why to me there's this urgency. Um, There's an urgency attached to this series, I mean, we know that our elders have have borne the brunt of so many of these attacks in recent years and our elders are the ones who made those extraordinary sacrifices to leave everything that they knew in their home country to come and try to, to eke out some semblance of the American dream here. And it's for them that this is urgent. You know, it's, it's for them that our generation has to loudly proclaim our belonging, you know, in this country because our relatives and our, our grandparents and, and our great grandparents, you know, they, they this is why they made those sacrifices for us not to stand idly by, but to assert our voices and and to assert our belonging. And so for me, that's always in the back of my mind now when I am I'm am, am, am talking about this series that um, the immigrant story is the American story, you know, no matter where you're from. Um, it's, it's, you know, every person in this country, our ancestors came from somewhere else. You know but ours is the one demographic whose story really just hasn't hasn't been told and so therefore it's really easy to characterize people who look like us as not being from here you know as being foreigners and it's time that our generation i mean you and i are different generations you're younger than than me but but collectively our generations um have to stake our claim in this country you know it's incumbent upon us to do that
3: and that leads into my question how do we make this moment last you know Ange and i had a conversation late the other night saying like oh it's finally cool to be asian we have to like <laughs> claim this moment right but we need to make it forever now so in your opinion
2: how do we do that well i think the the next evolution of this really is yes it's cool to be asian but it's even cooler to hold the hands of all of those around us you know what i mean to not remain you know um uh segregated in some ways you know now that like for so long asian americans were segregated right the filipinos like you know uh, they became part of filipino events and chinese became part of like chinese events and so on and i think what covid has taught us is that perpetrators don't discriminate right they'll attack anyone who looks asian and and so for us, it's this realization of our shared cultures, right, and our shared Asian American ness. But now it's also time for us to um, to to do what we can to never be silent about marginalized communities anywhere, anyhow, anytime. You know, I mean, I I, I think that you know that that is our our ancestors came here to have a better life and, and and to provide better lives for their their offspring and their progeny thereafter. Right. But it's our job as Americans, you know, to to try and ensure that for all people. Right. Not just our mm-hmm. own people. And so that's that's what I hope becomes the next evolution, that at a certain point, we will recognize that these stories are all of our stories. Right the stories of black america those are all of our stories the stories of latin america those are all of our stories you know and and you know i think that this is just providing this opening you know where we're just constantly evolving um and that is my hope and and it's something that i hope that within my lifetime i'll be able to experience like that that true meaning of inclusivity
0: yes well Lisa sadly we're going to have to wrap but really quickly before we go what is your go to karaoke song I have to know
2: <laughs> I don't even know if you will know this song because um, you're younger than me but um, Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton of a- course yeah I- oh, come I- on oh, come we are on. not that, we are old <laughs> We are not that young Lisa okay. Islands of course that 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 is probably that's one I love a duet I just love a duet. And and you know the Ozzy Osbourne, Lita Ford song? When I close my eyes forever. Oh, that's a good one, too. Oh, yeah. no. OK. Yeah, yeah that's well, the one I don't know.
0: Well, hopefully we can sing karaoke one day with you and then my life will be
2: complete. I have many, many shots before I will engage in that. (laughs) With kimchi backs,
0: (laughs) which is another thing I learned. Kimchi backs, that's on the list. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. This has been a true honor. Again, we've been Mm -hmm. speaking with Lisa Ling. The show is called Takeout on HBO. Watch it and eat well. We hope to see you again soon.
2: Thank you all so much. It was a pleasure.